that Abraham is a man whom God chooses to reveal his plans to. And God reveals his plans to his friends. Trivia question, who's a friend of God? Three times it's told to us. You see it in Second Chronicles, you see it in Isaiah, and you see it in James. Abraham was a friend of God. God spoke freely with Abraham. Jesus says in John 15 that we are no longer slaves but friends. And so God's going to open up to Abraham what he's about to do. The sovereign God who knows from the beginning everything from the beginning to the end, all things in, the th- in between and things that have, come not to, that have not come to pass, this God has chosen to work with human beings through prayer. And he says there's a need here in verse 20. Then the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave. The idea for that for outcry there is there are voices going up to the Lord, save us from these oppressors. And God says, and their sin is very grave. There's a verse, Ezekiel 16.49, that if we were to look at Sodom and Gomorrah all throughout Scripture, 47 times Sodom and Gomorrah is mentioned, and every time they're used in this idea of judgment. And you will see it next week in Genesis 19. But every time we see it, there's judgment. And here in 19, or excuse me, in 20, it says their sin is very grave. Ezekiel lets us know, behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride excess of food and preposterous ease, and they did not aid the poor and the needy. And so here's a prideful, gluttonous, lazy people who don't even take care of the needy, and there's the needy people there crying out. That is outcry. They're calling out to God. And God says, because of this, I will go down. Because of the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to this outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. And so you see God's mercy in light of his judgment. Everybody, not everybody, that's an overstatement. Many who don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who don't trust the Bible as the truth, would say, well, God can't be judging and merciful. But he must be judging if he's to be merciful against the oppressed, right? We see the mercy of God as he hears the cries of the oppressed and the judgment of God against those oppressors. And then he says, I will go down to see what has come up to me, and if not, I will know. That's a puzzling idea. If not, I will know. Does God not know about this? Is he not the sovereign of all the earth? I mean, don't we read in Isaiah 46 that he knows the beginning from the end and the fall of a bird and the way of man? Yes, God is not ignorant of iniquity. Sin cannot be kept secret from God. Many a proverb says that. Here's the heady commentary explanation of that last little phrase in 21. The anthropomorphic language veils the ontological reality of his omniscience. Thank you, Dr. Chisholm. I appreciate you. Taught me Hebrew. Let me just say it like this. God is speaking to Abraham in the way that he would understand it. And God is also eating with Abraham and walking with Abraham. God condescends to come down from heaven to work with humans the way they know how. Amen? It's like those of us who are fathers that attend a tea party. 
where we get down on all fours and we become the horse, right? Or you, you, you enter into the child's world so that they see it's real life. That's what's going on here. He comes down and he's speaking to Abraham on his terms. Now watch this. I'm going to read the entire rest of the chapter because I don't want you to miss the beauty of Abraham's intercession. It begins with an invitation. Without an invitation to God, from God on the revelation of his will, we would not know what to pray for or whom to pray to. And he says in verse 22, So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will then you sweep away the place and not spare it from the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I've undertaken to speak to the Lord, and I am but dust and ashes. Suppose the 50 righteous are lacking. Excuse me, suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. Again, he spoke to him and said, Suppose 40 are found there. He said, for the sake of 40, I will not destroy it. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. He said, behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again but this once. Suppose 10 are found there. He answered, For the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way, and when he had finished speaking to Abraham, when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. Now, at first, this looks real weird. This looks like a couple of men haggling over fruit in the market. It looks like some some men wrangling over prices at a dealership. Fifty, forty five, forty, thirty, twenty, ten. But it's far more than that. This is Abraham's appeal to the judge of all the earth. Notice the other two left. And so this is just Abraham and the Lord. And Abraham drew near and said, well, and Abraham stood before the Lord. So it's he and the Lord are standing. And then it says, Abraham drew near or Abraham approached. So he's already standing there, but then Moses doesn't want you to miss this. Abraham approached the Lord. And that Hebrew term for approaching the Lord means to approach the bench. And so he and God are standing there and Abraham comes as if he is an advocate, a lawyer on behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah. He is coming as the official representative of another people. And this is where he goes through and he asks the question, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? 
Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Well, then you sweep away the place and not spare it. That word spare is the Hebrew word for forgive. And so you could say, will you not forgive them for the sake of the righteous few? And you start to see this principle come to place. Will God forgive the many for the righteous few? And he continues to appeal and he asks this rhetorical question. Far be it from you to destroy the righteous along with the wicked so that they receive the same. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? That's not meant for us to, it's not a question that we're debating. It's a rhetorical question. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? He shall. And that's what Abraham believes. He is approaching the judge and he is saying, you're the judge of all the earth. And there's something going on in Sodom and Gomorrah And I'm asking you, are you going to spare the righteous? And God gives him an answer. And he says, if there are 50, I will spare it. If there are 45, I will spare it. If I find in Sodom 50 righteous people in the city, I'll spare the whole place for their sake. Yet he's just told him in a few verses earlier, at least Moses has revealed it to us, God was heading down to Sodom and Gomorrah to judge it. Does the Lord change his mind? Look at Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie or the son of man that he should change his mind. He has said and he will, and will he not do it? He has spoken and will he not fulfill it? This is often the question that comes up when we talk about the issue of prayer. Does prayer change the mind of God? Is prayer forcing God to do something that God doesn't want to do? And the answer is no. Prayer does not force God to do what he wants to do. Prayer is God's sovereign way of implementing his own perfect will through the power of his people. In prayer, we articulate God's sovereign will before it comes to pass. He knows the beginning from the end. And you're saying that, but we still have a responsibility to go to this sovereign God. Well, absolutely Because if he's not sovereign, why go to him? If he can't answer your prayer, why are we even praying? I haven't seen you guys presenting a lot of requests to me to answer your prayers, right? It's because I'm not sovereign. I am not all-powerful, and I'm not omniscient. And I can't be everywhere present, but there is one who is. And look at verse 31. Behold, I've undertaken to speak to the Lord. It's the same thing in 21. I've undertaken to speak to the Lord. I am but dust and ashes. Abraham understands the judge of all the earth will do right, and so he boldly, he dares go before God. And humbly, he goes before him and he says, you've created me, I'm but dust and ashes, and I'm taking, I'm approaching the bench. It's Those gentlemen we saw the pictures of earlier, it's your honor. If I may be so inclined as to get closer and really speak to you about this. He's shameless and he's bold and he's humble and he goes before God. And you see the same thing in the New Testament. You see it in in two parables on prayer where Jesus talks about a man who came at night knocking on the door. And he keeps knocking because he needs food. And in that time, the husband and the wife and all the kids, it would be like me and Ashley, Lauren, Luke, and Lawson, just all laying down and sleeping right there. And he's knocking and he needs food. 
And it says specifically that man will not get up because he is his friend, but because of his persistence. He shamelessly in the middle of the night comes, I need food! No, go away, we're already in bed. I need food! Ashley's nudging him, would you get him to go? Finally, I get up because he is persistent. And it's the same in Luke 18 when the woman goes before the judge and she wears him out. And he says, though I am not just, nor do I really respect men, but because of this widow's persistence, I'll answer it. And it's the same thing here. Abraham's going back and forth. 50, 45, 30, 30, 20, 20, 10, 10. And do you know who he's praying for? Will you not indeed spare the whole city for the sake of the few? God still spares cities, yea, even valleys, because of the outcry and the prayers of a remnant. And then it says, in 33, God stopped the conversation, and the Lord went his way. It's as if they had come to this conclusion, and God goes his way. Abraham doesn't panic. It just says he returned to his place. And so what you see here. If this is the bench and down there is a city where there are a few crying out to God and there's grievous sin, you see a man approach the bench and he stays there. He doesn't just, what, what do you say, 50? 50. I'm done. I'm out of here. Cowboys start at two. What about 45? 45. 40. 40. I'm just going to speak one more time. What about 30? 30. And one man goes and he intercedes between God and man. You see, this is the first priest to intercede for people. This is not the first priest in Genesis. We saw in 14 a man by the name of Melchizedek, the great high priest. But this is the first priest between God and people. And here he comes, humble. I am but dust and ashes. I've undertaken to speak to you. He he is passionate. He stays there. He wrestles with God. He is logical. He works 50, 45, 30. He's, He's reasoning with the Lord and he is persistent. But yet he's just a distant type of one who was to come and truly intercede for mankind. 1 Timothy says this, 1 Timothy, I believe it's 2, yes, 2, 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, that is the man Christ Jesus. That the first priest is a type of the great priest who was to come and intercede for us. And you know what happens when that priest goes? He's not only the priest, the intercessor, but he's also the sacrifice. He's also the sacrifice. And so on the back of your handout there, you see some truths about God. That God reveals His will to His friends and that God is merciful and that God is just and that God in His sovereignty has seen fit to invite His friends to an intercessory prayer ministry. And that you and I can go to God and approach Him legally as, as lawyers on behalf of others boldly, reverently, persistently, and humbly. And you're saying, but how can we, a sinful people, approach a holy God? 
It's because Jesus Christ went in the type of Abraham. He fulfilled that type. And here's the key. The many righteous, Abraham left it at 10. Jesus Christ narrowed it down to one. Through one man, the many have been made righteous, Romans 5. Through the one intercessory preacher, not preacher, but priest, who is also the sacrificed. Same? Yes. Same man. He he goes before God and he gives himself. Priests could not give themselves. They were sinful people. They had to give sacrifices of perfect lambs and perfect um, bulls. And they had to do it continually, but not Jesus. One time on the cross, and he died a death that we should have died because he lived a life we should have lived. And he goes before God, he intercedes for us, and he still does it, by the way. And because of that, we are a new priesthood. You and me? Yeah, word priest is kind of funny. You're you're imagining me right now up here with a collar on, some of you. That's just not what the biblical view of priest is. The biblical view of priest is those who go before another God on account of someone else, others. And we have that privilege. We have that responsibility. We have that, dare I say, the greatest of all power is to go to God on our knees begging Him, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Brokenhearted beggars of God. God, I need you to come through on this. God, I am trusting in your character. You're the powerful one. You're sovereign. You can do all of this and I'm only coming to you because your character has nothing to do with me. If I come on my own righteousness, I'm, I'm, I'm dead but I'm coming to you. You're the judge of all the earth. You're going to do right. And I know that I can come to you based upon the paved path of Jesus Christ. Do we do that? Do we pray that way? Oh, how this week my own personal life has just, it needed this timely in my own life to really get down and it's not just pray occasionally for those who don't know the Lord. It's to intercede because there are people who are crying out and there are people who are going to hell. And I just give you these verses to just shower our minds with these truths. So then we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let him hold. Let us then hold fast to our confession. We believe this. We hold fast to it. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us then, with confidence, draw near, same language, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever, i.e. in the likeness of Melchizedek. Consequently, he is able to save to the utmost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. That should blow us away. Jesus Christ is in heaven right now making intercession for us. Little, my little children, I write these things to you that you may not sin, but if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Therefore, brothers, since we have this confidence, how dare we approach this God? Because of this confidence to enter the holy places 
by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he has opened up through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us, there's that word again, draw near with a true heart and full assurance with our hearts sprinkled clean from, from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to this confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And look at the context here. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds. That's in line with this intercessory prayer. Not neglecting the meeting together, that's why we're here today. As is the habit of some. Oh, I pray for the some who don't see the benefits and joys of coming and hearing God's word and fellowshipping with God's people and singing songs about God's greatness but encouraging one another, one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. And looky here in 1 Peter 2, but you, everybody in here who knows the Lord Jesus Christ, it is not just for guys with fancy little collars. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That, that, the result priesthood, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous lights. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you received mercy, but now you have, you have not received mercy, but now you do. All of this, Revelation 1, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be the glory. Abraham was a type. Jesus was the fulfillment. And we are new priests that go out and we intercede for others. Alistair Begg has four points that serve as a summary. Intercessory prayer rests upon our relationship with God. Abraham was in communion with God. God revealed to Abraham what he was about to do. And Abraham responded with intercessory prayer. Intercessory prayer is based upon God's willingness to be approached. He is in a... He doesn't give a Heisman, doesn't give a stiff arm. He invites us in. Intercessory prayers made in light of God's character. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? That's our authority. We can go before God because he allows us to come to him, but he's going to answer our prayers according to his will. And here's a key one. This is the one that hit me. Intercessory prayer is practical and it's persistent. Nobody ever leads a holy life by chance. You don't just slip into, oh, man, I was just, I'm holy now. I mean, I was over here, I was unholy, doing a bunch of unholy things, and it just one day I slipped, and I woke up, and I'm just holy. I'm a holy guy. It's the same with prayer, intercessory prayer. I won't say their last names. Patrick and Brian and Matt and Elder DeBell and Elder Ford and these Men in my life from college and, and past people who have come and knocked on my door with suits and big chunk of mule shoes telling me about a false gospel. They don't get prayed for just because I slip into prayer. They get prayed for because we put their names down on a sheet of paper and we go to work. And I'll just add one more. This intercessory prayer we saw here was theological and it's missional. It's theological we never divorce theology from practice because it's based upon the character of God and it's missional. Abraham went to work for a city. It's as if I'm praying, Lord, would you spare um, Carbondale because of the people we know who are there, right? And we go and we pray for the good of them and the glory of God. 
And so you and I need to pray with a providential perspective. That is, we really, if we really believe God is sovereign, we'll be on our knees more than anyone else because we really believe he can answer our prayers. Because when we don't pray, we really don't believe God is sovereign. He may or may not answer it, I don't know. But his sovereignty doesn't leave us lazy. Oh, he's sovereign. He'll, I just have to ask once. Abraham didn't ask once. That man in Luke 10 didn't ask once. The lady in Luke 18 didn't ask once. They kept going. David, he didn't just write one psalm. <laughs> you know, that was pretty good. Solomon didn't just write one proverb for us. God's sovereignty doesn't leave us lazy. It should empower us and make us go with tenacity before the one ongoing. And when we realize, as we read in our book, we will not know what prayer is for until we realize life is war. There's a greater war going on out there and people are dying and going to hell and there are some who are on our team who are miserable and and they need us to get on our knees and pray. Pressure of life, passion for the lost, the power of the Lord will lead us from a mere duty. Oh, I have to pray to God, I, I must pray. And a desperation that leads us to delight that when we finish in prayer, it's as if we can do no more. And God says in Isaiah 62, 7, don't give me any rest until Jerusalem is established and that praise go through all the earth. He's the one saying that. We don't give him any rest. What happens when we pray intercessory prayers is we move from spectators of God's will into participants. We, we're like George Mueller who said, there are orphans in the world and they need a place and I'm going to pray and God's going to provide the money so I can build orphanages. They're a cobbler in England. I think it's England. Correct me if I'm wrong if it's not England. A cobbler says there are people in India who need to hear the gospel. And he's the father of modern... Well, he's a cobbler in America. He's the father of American missions. There, there's a man named George Whitfield who could not sleep for three days. And he got on his knees and he prays. And it was the great awakening in America where many people... I think it's a third of the people in the country came to know Jesus because the guy couldn't sleep for three days and he got on his knees and he prayed. And there was a seminary student who had a heart for the lost in college and he was, he was putting himself through college by making bright candies. Like Brock's candies, he was making bright candies and his name was Bill Bright and he said, no more candies, I'm going to pray and we're going to have a revolution at the college level. And so today we have Campus Crusade for Christ because one man got on his knees and prayed. And we've got to be persistent in it. This is where I'm weak. Pray once, God's sovereign, move on. We've got to be persistent in it because prayers may be denied at first because God's working on us, right? Prayers may be delayed or prayers may be disguised. You may pray for one thing and it may not come out exactly like you prayed for it. But nevertheless, like Jim Valvano said, don't give up. Don't ever give up. You may not be a haggler who goes to the marketplace and says, how much for this melon? You may not like to go to the car dealership. That was one thing my father was really good at. He would go to the car dealership and the car would be, 
you know, priced at seventeen thousand. And I walked away with, t- I got that baby for ten thousand. How'd you do that? Just negotiated with him, master negotiator. Now I want to take that and not par- purchase cars, but go before the God of all creation, the Judge of all the earth, and bombard him with my prayers, and give him no rest. So could there be a great awakening happening in Eagle, Avon, Edwards, this valley, this country? Yes, and it's not going to happen by programs and personalities. It's going to happen as we get on our knees and we pray. By planning to pray. We don't slip into it. Carving that time out. Ashley and I just talked. We we have a plan for prayer. It doesn't just happen. And you got to, each family dynamic is different. Some are really tired at night and praying at night. Kind of goes like this. She's praying and I'm, she asked me, are you asleep? No, no, I'm absolutely, I heard everything you said. And I got to a point where I could repeat it back to her. That's terrible. It's terrible. <laughs> I could, but I'm fast asleep. So that doesn't work for us at the end of the day. Maybe it's the beginning of the day. That's what seems to work for us. So how can you do this? How can, how can we apply this message? I'll tell you how you can apply it. Immediately. These are prayer requests. Becky doesn't just cut these every week just for fun. You know, oh, Jed's making me cut these. This is practical stuff. And we want to hear from you. I know you want to hear about my mother at times, right? What's going on with my mother? But you want to hear from me. I want to hear from you. I want to hear what's going on in your life. And, and again, that's why we put for elders only. If it's something you're just not willing to, that's fine. But this, is, this is one way. This is not the way, but it's one way. This is This is serious. This isn't just, we're not, let's see how many trees we can kill. Let's see how much we can recycle next week. That's not what we're thinking. We want to know what's going on. That's immediately working our way back at 8.15, 8.30. What are we going? 8.15, every week. Even today, we just prayed through the order of service. You can come and you can take part and say, Lord, I pray for... I think it's Debbie Sheehy in the nursery, and it was Carolyn with the pre-K. And we pray that they would see that what the time they're giving is not just a children's ministry. It is investing in eternity. It is doing exactly what it says here, that he may command his children and his household to keep the way of the Lord. And that you and I can participate in that, and you, we could fill the library with people who are praying. And let me just encourage you men. Let me, I want to encourage you. I want to say this with all the grace. Ever since for about seven years, she has done real well at home as a single mom. Every sun, Just Sunday mornings for seven years, she's gotten three kids together and she excels at it. It's a little time to get used to, especially when you move from one to two and then zone three. And I'm not saying this to just necessarily lift her up, but I'm saying this. This is a way. You can do it. You can do it. You can get here and we can pray together. 
you can do it. And you can help her. Hey, how can I help you? And after she's done it for a while, you can say, here, go over here to Mountain Living Body Spa and just get yourself a massage for all that you do. But you can do this, gentlemen. We can lead in prayer. We just have to plan it. We don't slip into it. We don't slip into it. It's got to take planning, but we can do it. Every Sunday at 8.15, every Sunday on prayer requests, so much so am I convicted in my own heart and soul of this, we're going to do a whole week's worth of prayer at the beginning of 2012. Learn this from Dr. John Piper. Their church does it uh, every year. They begin the week with a prayer week, and we're going to do it. So Sunday the 1st at my house in the evening, we're going to have people at our house to pray. And it's not a come for an hour and gab. It's let's get down to the work of prayer and then we can do that. But we're going to pray through the, through the entire church of all the areas. And Thursday the 5th, bookend it, the Pittmans are going to open their house. And we're looking for three houses in between. But we want to begin 2012 saying we cannot do this on our own. We do it on our own, and you will see, not next week, but the week after, a guy, this guy who goes before God, and if he does it on his own, he goes and he repeats the same sin. He's going to lie again. If we do it on our own, we work out of the flesh. But we need to get on our knees, all of us, from me all the way out that way. And we need, this is the God of the universe who we're in, we're in direct communion. Uh, you don't have to go sit in this dark little room and have the window slid. You don't. In fact, you can go straight to him because one intercedes from you, but then you can go and intercede for others. That's, that's what blows me away. We can get on our knees. We can pray for great things to happen in the lives of different people in this congregation, for the lives of the lost, and we can watch God go to work. Father, Oh, we need your grace. We need a fresh understanding of who you are. That you're the sovereign God of the universe who reveals to us your your plans. Not your secret things, but the big picture you reveal to us and you want us to come and beg you to work. You consider us friends. That's, that blows me away. And you are honored by our persistence. So I confess in my own life, I don't, I give up easily. So I will come before, if there's any other person in this room who gives up easily like me, we confess our sins to you and we want you to go to work in our heart and then we want you to work in the lives of others. We want to be consistent, persistent. We want to come before you boldly and reverently. And we're going to watch you go to work. And Lord, if it doesn't go to work like what we've prayed, we're going to still keep at it because you may have just disguised something even better. Enable us to do this. You've invited us with your initiating grace. Enable us.
with your power through the Holy Spirit that we may come and beg the judge of all the earth to do right. We pray this boldly. And like Abraham says, if I could only say it one more time, pray it humbly that you do a work in our own hearts personally, in our own families, in our houses, in this church, in this city, in this valley, in this state, in this country, in this world. And we thank you that you've recorded it in Scripture for us to go back to again and again and again. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.